everybody. It is another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday night, January 9th, 2018. Kicking the show off, My Sharona by The Knack. That was one of the very first songs I think I heard that was part of sort of the new wave movement. I think they used to play it on WNEW here in New York City. You know, that was sort of a a classic rock station, but uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, as new wave started to become a little bit more mainstream, um, NEW is definitely the station that would be uh, more apt to play some of those bands like The Knack, Joe Jackson, the B-52s, Talking Heads, just to name a few. And, uh, of course, that song was massive when it came out. Then it got sort of a, a second life. From the scene in the movie Reality Bites with uh, Winona Reiner, Winona Reiner, Winona, Winona Ryder, easy for me to say, and uh, Ethan Hawke. In any event, big show to get to tonight, football-centric show. We have got all the NFL, the playoffs over the weekend. We've got a look ahead to this weekend's playoff games. But we'll also look take a look at some of the, the coaching carousels. A couple of hires have been made and. We'll do our best to predict where the remaining uh, chips may fall, so to speak. But we start with last night's national championship game between Alabama and Georgia, which, since they've been doing this, I would have to say, while it may not have been the best game, last year's game may have been the best game between Clemson and Alabama, and certainly a hell of a finish with Clemson winning in the last seconds. But I think you could argue that last night's game, while again, there were, there were certainly long stretches of the game that were, were not terribly exciting or well played, I think the finish, because it went to overtime, because of the fact that a true freshman quarterback for Alabama came off the bench in the second half at Nick Saban's behest, um, and then ended up throwing what proved to be the game, well, not what proved to be, throwing the game-winning touchdown in the second overtime. Um, I think, uh, wait, hold on, second overtime? Let me get this right. No, the first overtime. Um, I thought it was going to go to two overtime, second overtime. Um, It was pretty spectacular. Pretty spectacular. Certainly, I doubt it's the way anybody drew it up. Everybody, of course, predicted a low-scoring game, and and for the first half, certainly seemed to be the case. Georgia had a 13-0 lead at halftime. Uh, Alabama could not get out of its own way on offense. Uh, Jalen Hurts, their quarterback, true sophomore, whom I like a great deal. I think his his demeanor, demeanor, (laughs) I think his demeanor is... uh, is outstanding, um, and he proved it last night. Even when he was benched, he didn't pout for one second. Uh, didn't you know throw any sort of a temper tantrum? Didn't didn't betray any emotion whatsoever that he was anything but supportive um, of his replacement in the team. So uh, kudos to him. And um, but he just had a horrible first half. You know, missed a wide open. Ridley in the end zone for a touchdown early in the game. And he ran the ball quite well, but he did not throw the ball well. And so Nick Saban, to his credit, a very risky move, decided to put in a true freshman who 
I mean, I, I don't know that he'd even played all year. Probably played a couple of times in, in some of the blowouts against, you know, when they played like Samford or, you know, whatever. You know, as the SEC likes to take their little, their late season vacation. The whole conference does it. It's not just Alabama. And they play these one A schools that are looking for a big payday. Uh, we've talked about that on, on previous shows, how idiotic that is, particularly when it happens late in the season. Um, so other than playing in a game like that, I don't know that he played at all this year. And listen, we've talked about Nick Saban on the show many, many times. Uh, certainly not, not exactly a sympathetic figure, not exactly somebody outside of the state of Alabama that a lot of people are probably pulling for. Um, but clearly his skill as a head coach is undeniable. And he proved it again last night by making the quarterback change. Now, that certainly could have blown up in his face. Um, you know, the kid. Did not look great early. Uh, he missed on some throws through a bad interception, and that was, I thought, a huge turning point in the game. So Georgia's up 20-7, to get an interception somewhere around midfield, and it looks like they have a, you know, not looks like, they've got a chance now to, to put the hammer down. You know, you get that game to 27-7 with a true freshman quarterback in the game, with Alabama's offense essentially not getting anything done. I mean, yes, he did lead them on the first touchdown drive. But 27-7, you got to feel awfully good about your chances if you're Georgia there. And then Georgia turned the ball back over with, you know, on, a, on an interception on a ball that bounced off the helmet of an offensive lineman or maybe it was a defensive lineman. They were sort of engaged together, um, forced by pressure up the middle um, by Alabama. And, you know, so give them credit. I mean, it was not just uh, – you know, a horrible play by uh, Ethan Fromm, the quarterback for Georgia. You give Alabama credit. They forced that that bad throw. But that was a huge turning point in the game. And then Alabama turned that into points. Granted, it was a field goal. Good job by Georgia's defense to hold new field goal there and maintain a touchdown lead. But that was a huge swing in the game. You know, essentially ended up being, you know, let's say even Georgia kicks a field goal there to go up 23 to 7, right? So at worst case, it's probably a six point swing. Um, you know, best case, depending on who you, how you're looking at it, you know, it could have been a 10 point swing had, had Georgia taken that turnover that they got and turned it into a touchdown. So in any event, um, then we get to 20 to 20. And Alabama gets the ball back with about eh, a good amount of time, three minutes plus. Georgia has two timeouts. Alabama pretty much marches right down the field. They get to about the 20, which, look, you know, the Alabama kicker missed a 40-yard field goal early in the game. Um, And when Alabama has had problems – which they don't have a lot of them, right? This is their sixth national championship, I believe, since Nick Saban has been there. Um, and they played in, in other – obviously, they played in the game last year and, and lost in heartbreaking fashion. So they, they don't have a lot of issues. But the one – when they have had a couple of, of uh, missteps, it's been in the kicking game, right? Happened in the Auburn game earlier this year. Obviously, the kick six against Auburn a few years ago where they missed the long field goal and Auburn returned the miss for a touchdown to win the game. Um, That's been the one bugaboo. 
for Alabama. And it's not a huge one, obviously, because they win all the damn time. But when they have tripped themselves up a little bit, it's been in the kicking game. And so, you know, that first missed kick, he made a 35-yarder, but it was a false start by Alabama. And so then you knew, you just knew he was going to miss the ensuing kick, and he did. And then he obviously missed the kick that could have ended the game in regulation from 30-something yards, missed it badly. Uh, now, Georgia has shown a penchant for blocking kicks. They did it, obviously, in the play in-game to this game uh, the previous uh, week against um, Ohio State. No, Ohio State. What's wrong with me? Uh, <laughs> against Oklahoma. Uh, so, you know, that might have been in the back of his head, but, I mean, he just, he just flat out missed it. I mean, it looked like a kid who was nervous. It did. Uh, you know, I can't get inside his head. I can only go by what I see. Looked like he was just flat out nervous, which is to be expected. Um, I mean, or not, not to be expected, but it's not a shock. Again, considering he'd already missed a kick earlier in the game. So, but here's the thing. Kirk Herbstreet and Fowler are just rambling on and on, the guys that do the game. I mean, they don't shut up for four seconds. And I generally like them, but I do not think they had a particularly strong night last night. And so, as Alabama is just running plays and burning clock, you know, if you're Georgia there and Kirby Smart, you've got to start calling timeouts way earlier than when he called the timeouts because now, you know, once Alabama gets to like the 25, even the 30-yard line, you have to assume they're going to score. And so you need to leave yourself enough time to match that score. And they didn't do it. And then he finally starts calling timeout with under a minute left. Well, by then it's too late. So when Alabama kicked the ball, there was like four seconds left. And Herb Street and Fowler didn't mention it once. They're too busy yakking away. Terrible job by them. But Kirby Smart gets let off the hook because the kid misses the kick, misses the kick for Alabama, gets to overtime, and then Georgia's kicker makes like a 52-yard field goal after Fromm takes a bad sack on third down to push them back to make it a long field goal. And so then at that point you're thinking, well, that's going to be the story of this game. The Alabama kicker can't make a kick, and the Georgia kicker just made a 52-yard field goal. Now, of course, Alabama gets another possession. And we can also, by the way, argue the merits of the college overtime system um, where you know each team gets a shot with the ball at the 25-yard line. There's no kickoffs. And if you score a touchdown first, the other team has to match the touchdown to send it to a second overtime. If you kick a field goal, the other team scores a touchdown. Obviously, the other team wins. We can, we can debate the merits of that system all day long. Um, I personally don't have an issue with it. I think it's fine. Um, I get it. You know, there are other people out there that say it has nothing to do with the sport. There, there is some, there's some truth to that, too. Um, I wouldn't hate another way to do it, but I don't hate the way it is now. In any event, so Blankenship makes the kick for Alabama. I mean, for all of uh, Georgia. Alabama gets the ball. Their first play from the 25-yard line, the quarterback takes way too long to get rid of the ball and takes a huge sack, 16-yard loss, right? And by the way, I need to get this kid's name right, and it's Teo, let's see, Tua, sorry, Tua Tagovola. 
Tag, Tago Valoa. Tua Tago Valoa. It's a kid's name. New co- the freshman quarterback for Alabama. So Tagovailoa takes a huge sack. It's second and twenty six. At this point, if you're Georgia, you have to be thinking to yourself, "All right, worst case scenario here. Worst case, worst case, we're going to double overtime. Best case, he's gonna the kicker's gonna have to kick another long field goal. And he's gonna miss. So it's second and twenty six, and they give up a touchdown." Busted coverage, blown coverage, corner thought the safety, he had safety help. I think the safety obviously did not think that that was the case. Receiver basically splits the two right up the seam, down you know, the left hash. Touchdown, game over. Great throw, nice throw, but I mean the guy was wide open. Ball game, crushing, heartbreaking. If you are a Georgia fan, you have got to be crushed. Last time they won a national championship was 1980 with Herschel Walker. And if you're Alabama, you breathe the sigh of relief, of course. It was, you know, again, the ending was great. There were pockets of the game that were not that great. Um, but overall, I mean, you can just see, you know, there were a lot of people that had issues with the fact that it was, you know, two SEC teams in the final. Um, you watch the game. I mean, they have the best players. I mean, both those teams have the best players. Both those teams will put a ton of guys from both of these games, from each team in the pros this year. I I so so Alabama had, I believe, not I believe, I know Alabama had six players off their defense last year drafted in the NFL this year. Six. Now a couple of them were first round, and then most of them were within the first three rounds. Right, Jonathan Allen was a first round pick. Um, uh, Reuben Foster was a first-round pick. I believe Bobby Humphrey was a first-round pick from the, the cornerback for, for the Ravens. So that's three right there. Uh, you have Tim Williams was, a, I think, a third-round pick. That's four. Uh, Ryan Anderson, third-round pick of the Redskins. That's five. And then uh, the safety that the Bears drafted. Now, of course, I can't remember his name. Um, that's six. That's six guys. They're going to probably have another six guys on on defense, they're going to have guys on offense going in the draft too. Both the running backs will get drafted: Scarborough and Harris. Um, and then on the other side of the ball with Georgia, a bunch of those guys are going to get. Roquan Smith's going to be a first round pick, the linebacker for sure. Uh, Sony Michelle's going to get drafted. Nick Chubb's going to get drafted. Both their running backs. Um, Low Carter. The other outside linebacker for Georgia is going to get drafted. A couple of those D linemen are going to get drafted. So, I mean, it was the, the, the level of play, the skill level is through the roof. So it was the two best teams for sure. It's the two best teams. So I had no issue with Alabama and Georgia being in the national championship game. It's fine. So listen. A hell of an ending. Not always a great game. Uh, obviously, if you're a Georgia fan, though, you got to be sick to your stomach today. I, I, I honestly, and you know, I, I'm a Georgia fan. I'm not fanatical Georgia fan. They're like my second team, right? I talked about. I, I, I almost went to Georgia. It was one of the one of the few schools I got into. <laughs> 
I was all set to, I was filling out my, my housing, my, my dorm preferences and thinking about meal plans and all that stuff. And at the last minute I called an audible and ended up going to Maryland. No regrets. Of course, so there part, part, part of me wonders what my life would have been like had I gone to university of Georgia. I think I would have enjoyed it immensely. Um, but certainly no regrets. I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time at University of Maryland as well. But so Maryland is, is my, you know, it, 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 to use perhaps a, a crude analogy, Maryland is my wife. Georgia would be my mistress uh, when it comes to football. Basketball, I don't really care. Maryland's my team all, all the way. Um, I don't really have a second hoops team that I would root for in basketball. It used to be Georgetown back in the day. That was in the 80s. That was before I even went to Maryland. So... Um, but so really a thrilling end to uh, a very exciting college football season. And now the real work begins. Now we start the scouting, you know, it's been, we, we've been doing it a little bit during this whole bowl season. And then we've got things like the East West Shrine game next weekend. And we've got the senior bowl, uh, on the 27th. So We'll we'll start to uh, you know I know my man AG is is hard at work in the film room right now breaking down film looking at tape listening to other podcasts that 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 specialize in the draft so we'll uh, we'll have we'll definitely have a draft show for you but that that's probably months away but we'll we'll probably do a little lead up to that as well all right we will take a short break and then we'll be back with the NFL right after this. And we are back here on Jamal About Sports, Tuesday, January 9th, 2018. Coming back at a break was the B-52s with Party Out of Bounds off the Wild Planet album. I guess we were doing a a new uh, wave-themed show here uh, as it it comes to our, our bumpers, as we like to say in the industry. All right, so NFL. Let's get right down to it, shall we? First weekend, wild card weekend. And uh, overall, not great. <laughs> not a great weekend for the NFL. Um, the idiocy of replay uh, reared its ugly head yet again. Uh, the, the nonsense as to what a catch is and, what not a, and what's not a catch reared its ugly head yet again. Um, we now replay every single damn thing, it seems like. Things that are obvious to the viewer at home, and we have to stop the game for five and ten minutes at a time to take a look at things that are plainly obvious. And um, the quality of play wasn't great in some of these games. And so let's start right away with Kansas City and Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee limped into the playoffs, literally. Quarterback uh, Marcus Mariota with, a, I guess, a bad groin. Um, now, they did win their last game. Uh, in order to get in, but you know they were, I think, what I, I, I guess they were ten and six. Yeah, they were ten and six, um, but not a terribly impressive team. And we talked about it, I think, last week. Mariota not a great year. Thirteen touchdowns, fifteen interceptions, which in today's NFL is almost impossible to do. It's almost impossible to be on a playoff team 
To be the quarterback of a playoff team and have numbers that bad, it's almost impossible. They were minus two in the turnover department, which is also very rare for a team to win 10 games and make the playoffs being negative in, in the turnover. Now, it's not a huge negative, but negative at all, that's a big deal. Um, they were without DeMarco Murray, which is not a huge deal because um, uh, Henry, the other back, is really good. And he's a big beast. And he's a 250, Derrick Henry, and he's 250 pounds. And uh, he showed he showed all of it in the fourth quarter of that game, to his credit. But Chiefs get up 21-3. They look like the Chiefs for the first five weeks of the year, right? Dynamic offense. They score on a touchdown pass. Beautifully designed play right before the end of the half on a wheel route uh, to like a third or fourth swing ride receiver. They sent Kareem Hunt out into the flat. Two guys jumped that. The guy went basically ran a wheel route right in sort of behind him up the sideline. Alex Smith hit him perfectly. Touchdown. 21-3. Titans getting nothing done on offense. Chiefs looked like they were going to roll. This whole game changed on one play, really. Well, two, it changed in two, in two ways. So there was a fumble. Mariota fumbled on uh, third down. And the Chiefs recovered. And the Titans were in field goal range. Jeff Triplett, who his, the, one of the great mysteries of the world is how Jeff Triplett is still employed as an NFL referee. Okay. My guy, right? My buddy who's the back, who was the, 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 the longtime back judge in the NFL, Jeff Triplett, not one of his favorites. Okay. Guys, he does like Steratore. He's a fan. Jeff Triplett, no, sir. Walt Coleman, no, sir. Jerome Boger, no, sir. Uh, but in any event, I digress. So, again, my, the, the, the reason I bring this up is this is not just typical ref bashing here, right? A guy who worked in the league for a long time, essentially doing the same job, has, is, you know, has told me Jeff Triplett's bad at his job. As a matter of fact, Jeff Triplett resigned, or resigned, retired, I should say, after this game. Um, so, they... Called forward progress was stopped. It clearly wasn't stopped. Uh, how they got this wrong, again, is, is ridiculous. And uh, Tennessee ends up kicking a field goal. In a game where Kansas City loses by one point, that's kind of a big deal. Now, I understand the rest of the game may, may have gone a little bit differently. Tennessee went for two, although the first time they went for two was beyond idiotic. Beyond. We'll get to that in a second also. How NFL coaches still... Don't know when to go for two and when not to. It's amazing. That chart that Bill Parcells either invented or got somewhere, they need to burn that chart because it's almost always wrong. Um, so it was 21-3. Chiefs have third and goal from about the six-yard line. Mariota goes back to pass, has nothing, scrambles to his left, Throws the ball. Darrell, Darrell Revis jumps up in the air and bats it down. Except it doesn't go down. And it doesn't hit the ground. And it doesn't go past Mariota. It somehow goes right back to Mariota, who catches the deflection and then runs it in for a touchdown. One of the more bizarre, ridiculous, lucky plays. I mean, if you are a Chiefs fan, you've got to be beside yourself. Remember, three years ago, when the Chiefs were whomping the Colts, in Indianapolis and blew that big lead too. What happened in that game? Andrew Luck 
fumbles the snap, the ball bounces right back to him, and then runs it in for a touchdown. So two of the more bizarre and more unlucky plays you'll ever see if you're a Chiefs fan, right, in the last three years, in playoff games, in games that you've lost where you've had big leads and you've broke and you've lost those games in heartbreaking fashion. And you know what? I know everybody says Andy, a lot, not everybody, but a lot of people say Andy Reid's a great coach. And certainly, look, if you want to make the playoffs, Andy Reid will get you there. Very similar to Marty Schottenheimer in that respect. You will never be a laughing stock of a team with Andy Reid as your coach. Okay, You will beat good teams. You will make the playoffs. You will win divisions. But his playoff record, other than the year that they made the Super Bowl, not, is not great. And it's not been good with the Chiefs. And that game, I'm sorry. You cannot blow a 21-3 lead at home against the Tennessee Titans and Marcus Mariota. Now, I'm not saying Marcus Mariota is, is trash. He may be. He may turn into a very good quarterback. You know, it's only his what second year in the league, third year in the league. So the jury's still way out on Marcus Mariota. But this version of Marcus Mariota, this is, that was not Tom Brady, that was not Aaron Rodgers, that was not Eli Manning, it was not Peyton Manning, it was not Matthew Stafford, it was not Drew Brees, not Matt Ryan. Okay, it's a diminished and not very good right now, Marcus Mariota. And. Again, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. Coaches, they don't learn their lesson. So when the Chiefs got out to have 5-0 start, they, yeah, they had some nice gimmick plays and Alex Smith was flinging it around a lot, but also Kareem Hunt was running roughshod over people and also a big part of the passing game. Then that disappeared for a while and the Chiefs hit a, hit, hit a huge rut. And then, oh, guess what? That Saturday night game, that game they had to have against the Chargers after the Chargers were surging, right? What they do? Oh, they they ran Kareem Hunt about twenty five times, and he, he went nuts, and they won the game. Well, in a game that you have the lead at home in cold weather, the leading rusher in the NFL, Kareem Hunt, your guy, eleven carries. Sorry, unacceptable, unacceptable. You cannot do that. I don't want to hear about how circumstances dictated and this, no, 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 no. Eleven carries is a joke. And I'm not saying you run the ball on every down and you try to take the air out of it. you got a whole half to go. I get it. But 11 carries is far too few. And throwing the ball, too. So the Chiefs do nothing on offense basically the whole second half of the game. So here you go. So it's 21-10. Tennessee scores. It's 21-16. There's 14 minutes left in the fourth quarter. So essentially the entire fourth quarter. Right? You have to figure each team's going to get at least two more possessions. At least. Maybe even three. Mike Malarkey elects to go for two. To get it to 21-18. Why, Mike? Because you're going to play to get another field goal and then that's it? And then we're good? And then we're going to play for overtime? I mean, it is beyond idiotic. And here's why. Because if you go for two and you don't get it, now if Kansas City kicks a field goal in their next possession, now they're up eight. So what does that mean? That means you now, the next time you score, if you do score a touchdown, now you have to go for two to try to tie the game. So, of course, they don't get it. Now, does Kansas City take advantage of it? No, obviously they don't. They got shut out in the second half. So does it mean it was the right decision? It was 100% the wrong decision. So that made it 21-16. 
Then Kansas City, uh, sorry, Tennessee scored again to make it 22-21, went for two again, which at that point you may as well, but now you're forced to. They don't get it, so now they can lose on a field goal. Right? So let's think about this. Had they kicked the field, had, had they, it's 21, so let's say they kick the extra points 21-17, they score another touchdown, Right? Yeah, and kick the extra point. They're up 24-21. Now you're so if they would have just gone for just kicked the extra point the first time, then they would have kicked it the second time. Now you're up a field goal. So now field goal can talk. I mean, it just it makes no sense. Now they got away with it because the Chiefs couldn't get out of their own way on offense in the second half of the game. And then the Chiefs, by the way, they've got a chance to shut them to, to, to get off the field and at least get the ball back on a third and ten and they run the ball. And Henry breaks two tackles in the backfield and goes around left end for a first down. I mean, it was brutal. Just brutal. Just a, a, a total team collapse, to be sure, by Kansas City there in the second half. But again, the fact that Hunt only got 11 carries is ridiculous. So, you know, again, kind of an exciting game. It was fairly well played. But, you know, look, you had a huge gaffe by the referees in that game. So that's game number one. Now we go to game number two, which was Atlanta, L.A., uh, you know, I, I, I predicted Atlanta was going to win that game outright. They did. Um, Atlanta seems to be, to be gelling at the exact right time, obviously, as we go into the playoffs here. They were there last year. We all know about the collapse in the Super Bowl. Um, Atlanta's a talented team. It's essentially the same team as last year, except on defense, they've got a rookie pass rusher in Tack McKinley who's pretty good. And they got Desmond Trufant back, who got hurt last year, who's probably their best corner. And Robert Alford's other corner is pretty good. And Brian Poole, their, their nickel corner is tremendous. And by the way, that guy made about four open field tackles early in that game when it was still close that were tremendous. On Todd Gurley, two of them were on Todd Gurley, one of the best backs in the league and one of the better open field runners in the league. You know, guy's 230 pounds. He's a load, plus he's elusive. And Brian Poole's a little dude. Well, I shouldn't say he's little. He's short. You know, he's about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, but he reminds me of Quandre Diggs from the Lions. Stout. You want to go back a few years, Bob Sanders from the Colts. And, you know, he's a great form tackler, Brian Poole. And he made a couple of huge tackles in the open field early in that game. And then you had the two special teams turnovers by Farrell Cooper, the kick returner for the Rams, who's really good and had a really good year, but... You know, actually, I'm sorry, not both were on him. One was a muff that ended up hitting his, his, his teammate, who wasn't that dude's fault. He was looking to block. And the other was a fumble on a kick return. So those were killers. And, you know, really the play of that game was, was, the, was the touchdown pass from Matt Ryan at Julio Jones to seal it. Um, just a gorgeous, gorgeous pass. Third down, blitz coming. Very clever play design. They motion Julio Jones in front of Matt Ryan from left to right. He leaks out into the flat in the corner by the pylon on the right side. And Ryan throws the ball before Julio Jones even turns around. Floats it high, lofts it up high over the defender, right into the breadbasket. Julio Jones locates the ball, catches it, corner of the end zone, touchdown, done. So, look... If you're the Rams, nobody expected 
anything out of that Rams team this year. I mean, Jared Goff looked so bad last year. So bad. Last year, he was the rookie quarterback uh, and had a phenomenal year this year. You know, they hired Sean McVay, 31 years old, or George Michael, as I like to call him, with his, his sculpted, you know, perfectly sculpted uh, 5 o'clock shadow beard and, you know, his cool hairdo. Um, but he did a great job with the whole team and, and Goff and, and, and Gurley in, in particular. You know, Gurley last year at times looked like sort of a plodding three yards in a cloud of dust running back. And Goff looked like he was completely overmatched and was going to be was was destined to be one of the all time busts in the history of the NFL. And he had a hell of a year this year, as did Gurley. Now, getting on uh, Andrew Whitworth to play left tackle for them certainly helped. They enabled him to kick uh, Roger Saffold inside to guard. Um, you know, they made some uh, uh, acquisitions at wide receiver. They got Sammy Watkins, who's eh, he's okay, he's not great. Uh, Robert Woods though had a very nice year for them. Um, the other former Bill. So look, the other thing I was very impressed with with McVeigh's sideline demeanor. I, I thought he he handled himself really well, very calm. You know, when things started going wrong for 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 the Rams, I mean, you know, again, thirty one years old, and he didn't blink. He did not blink. I mean, he seems to clearly be talented from an X's and O's standpoint, but also as a, from a leadership standpoint. I was really impressed with him. I really was. I really thought he handled himself uh, exquisitely on the sidelines. So I think, the, 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 unfortunately, because they're an NFC team, but I, I would say the, the, the future for the Rams is, is extremely bright. And look, if you're the Falcons, um, this could all be setting up very nicely for you. You go on the road this week, they're favored on the road in a playoff game. That's rare. But they're playing the Eagles, who are without their quarterback. And the Eagles did not look particularly good the last two games of the year. Now, I get it. You know, regular season playoffs are different. They didn't really play. They played basically all their backups the second half of the last game against the Cowboys. You know, they played Nate Sudfeld at quarterback. Uh, but Nick Foles did not look good in, in Week 16 against the Raiders at all. Um and, you know, he's, he's hit or miss. I don't think you can certainly know what you're going to get from Nick Foles. Um, I like Atlanta to win that game. You know, look, Philly's defense is pretty good, and they can run the ball pretty well. Uh, but Atlanta just seems to be clicking on all cylinders at the exact right time right now. So it was an okay game. It wasn't terrible. We didn't have any refereeing issues in that game. Um, so, you know, that one was all right. Uh, game number three, which was on Sunday, which is uh, the Jacksonville-Buffalo game, Absolute stink bomb. Reminded me of one of those horrendous Thursday night games that we get early in the year. I mean, first of all, you have two teams devoid of offense. And I've been a Tyrod Taylor defender on the show. I'm sorry. I can't defend him. He played a horrendous game for the Bills. Horrendous. He missed about four or five wide open receivers in that game. And look, I think he got a bit of a, 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 of a raw deal there this year with the whole benching. And, you know, they were 5-3 and three at the time. They benched them, or 5-4. and four, And then, you know, Nathan Peterman comes in, a rookie, fifth-round pick from Pitt. He throws five interceptions in the first half of the game. They lose. They give up 50 points to Chargers. You know, and to his credit, you know, they rallied, and we talked about it last week, and they got help from, from the Bengals beating the Ravens. But... Um, and, you know, I, I, I liked Buffalo in this game. McCoy did play. And he played okay. Um, but, I mean, and then, you know, Taylor got hurt. 
with a concussion late in the game, and that pretty much ended any chance of them winning. But this game pretty much hinged on on on, on two two plays. So uh, Buffalo has one nice drive. They get down. They have first and goal at the two, and and they and they done the most of their damage on that drive running the ball. And they've got uh, Mike Tolbert, you know, the human bowling ball, right? Formerly of the Panthers, right? Guys, you know, 5'9", 240 pounds. He's a great goal line runner. Uh, you've got Shady McCoy, who, you know, is not known as a, a, a bruiser, but certainly is as talented a runner as there is in the league and certainly can, can get in the end zone. And you've got a mobile quarterback as well. And what do they do? Oh, thanks, ESPN. You are the best. Thank you so much for ruining my show. Thank you. I sorry folks. I had I made the mistake of having espn.com uh, up cuz I was looking at the box score uh, of the championship game last night cuz I needed to get the name of the Alabama Crimson Tide quarterback. And so we're you know, we're rolling along nicely. And then all of a sudden I got to get a Pearl Vision commercial pops up out of the blue. I don't know. I I didn't click on anything. I wasn't looking at anything. Okay. ESPN.com. Adios. Uh, all right. Sorry. You're not going to throw me off my game. Where was I? Oh, so they have first and goal, Buffalo. And instead of running the ball, they try to throw the ball to, Kel- uh, to Kelvin Benjamin. He gets called for offensive pass interference. It's a good call. So now, instead of first and goal from the two, you're first and goal from the twelve. And that's tough for any team to score a touchdown there where you can't get a first down and you're backed up outside the 10-yard line. Impossible for the Bills to score there. So they ended up having to settle for a field goal. And then the other big play was when Jacksonville went for it, to their credit, and give Doug Marone, the head coach, credit, on fourth and goal, went play action, hit a tight end. And, you know, i I got to give Bills credit. They weren't really fooled by it. They had pretty good coverage. Blake Bortle, for as horrific as he was in that game, and make no mistake, he was terrible. I mean, he was awful. He ran for more yards, 87, than he passed for 85. Blake Bortles, that's AG's guy. (laughs) He was wretched. And and so anyway, they ended up winning 10-3, but a little bit of controversy at the end, Nathan Peterman threw a look to be the game-clinching interception. Great play, by the way, by Jalen Ramsey. Beautiful play, right? And I give Romo credit, who was doing the game. Although I, you know, I think he's way overrated and he he grates on me a little bit. But give him credit on this play. He said, "Look, the Bills have been throwing outs all game long. They're going to have to throw in the middle of the field here." They tried to throw a quick out. Ramsey read it perfectly, broke on the ball, timed it up perfectly. High point. Goes and gets the ball, bats it up to himself, you know. But when he hits the ground, it looks like the ball moves, which you're not. Didn't look like it survived the ground, but they re, they replayed it and they said it was a catch. Okay, and look, let's be honest. The likelihood of Nathan Peterman leading them down for a touchdown to tie that game is about one percent. So. Uh, even if he had another crack at it, probably wouldn't. Uh, it was not going to impact uh, the outcome of the game. But again, it's just a bad look, you know. And again, in 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 theory, reviewing all scores, all scores being automatically reviewed, and all turnovers being automatically reviewed is a good idea. But as we've seen now, it's horrible in practice. Horrible. It's got to go. 
It's got to go. Because again, first of all, nobody can ever get excited now as a fan about anything. I mean, unless it's so clear-cut, but if a guy makes a diving catch or a diving interception or dives into the end zone or anything like that, you can't get excited about it. You, got, you have to sit there and temper your reaction. It defeats the whole purpose of being a fan. There's, that's, no, there's no fun in that. So anyway, the game itself was just hideous. Set the sport of football back by, by several decades. Um, and now... Jacksonville on to Pittsburgh and the Patriots has, you know, their, 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 their annual cakewalk has begun. And now they play the Titans at home, which, by the way, is the Saturday night game. What are you guys doing? I mean, who in the world? I mean, I will, of course, I'll watch it. But I mean, why, why wouldn't you have the Atlanta-Philly game be the 8 o'clock game Saturday and the Patriots the 4 o'clock game? It must be another example of how the league has it out for the Patriots, I guess. Right, Patriots fans? <laughs> that you get to get the prime time game on Saturday night? And then that leaves us with the last game, which is New Orleans-Carolina, which ended up being a very good game, but we had some controversy in this game, too. So you had Cam Newton either getting a concussion, not getting a concussion, pretending to have a concussion to give Derek Anderson more time to warm up, which is what the Panthers are saying. I don't think I buy it. The play in which in question when he got lit up by the defensive lineman for the Saints, he was already down. He had been sacked. but The refs blew it and missed it. So his knee was down, but he put a hand down too, but his knee was down. So the play should have been whistled dead before it even happened anyway, before the next hit, which he took, and he got crushed. And, you know, stumbles to the sidelines, takes a knee, goes into the tent, but now there's a new rule. He's supposed to go to the locker room, whatever. Again, just ugly. And then the, the Saints, fourth and two from about midfield, rather than punt, and make the, the, the Panthers try to go the length of the field to beat them. Sean Payton said, you know what? I'm going to go for it here. First down wins the game. They didn't get it. Threw an in, Drew Brees ends up throwing an interception. Now, the smart play there by the D-back is to bat the ball down because it's fourth down. So you're going to get the ball better field position. He caught it around 35, something like that, 33. But it looked like he might have dropped the ball. It could have been incomplete, which would have been better for the Panthers. Well, all turnovers are reviewed, I guess, except this one, because they didn't really review it. And so it's a difference of 17 yards of field position. Now, I can't say for certain that Carolina would have driven down and and scored the game-winning touchdown, but that certainly didn't help. And, you know, there was an intentional grounding call, which I thought was the right call that pretty much derailed any chance of uh, the Panthers scoring. But they did move the ball. From the 33, they got past midfield. So, I mean, that was kind of ugly. But overall, that was a pretty entertaining game. You know, and it also shows you, I mean, Carolina you know, just kept taking the lead. To take, uh, uh, sorry, New Orleans. You know, two scores, two scores, and Carolina make a one score. The New Orleans score again, make a two scores. Um, it shows you how hard it is to win these games, though, when you have two pretty evenly matched teams. I mean, it, it looked like for all the world, there was a couple different times in the, in the game when New Orleans was going to put a, a considerable distance between themselves and the Panthers, and, and, and they didn't. 
You know, and two scores seems like a lot. It's not a lot. You know, it seems like it. It looks like it even on the scoreboard. But it's not. You get a score and a stop. Guess what? Game on. Um, and I give Sean Payton credit for going for two there. A lot of people didn't like that call, and it looked bad, obviously, because they didn't get it. Now, obviously, they got away with it because they got to stop when they needed to. And I think in years past, he would have never done that because he wouldn't trust his defense to hold a team. But as we've said all year, Saints defense is good. That Marshawn, Marshawn Lattimore is a hell of a player. Marcus Williams, a rookie safety, is really good. Cam Jordan's been a beast. Sheldon Rankins, D-tackle, really good. It's good defense. So, I thought it was, look, I love it. Be gutsy. Go for it. Why not? You get a first down there, the game is over. So, and you know, look, I understand, you know, Mike Adams is the guy who got the interceptions, like a 10, 12-year veteran. He should know better. That's one of those where you could kind of understand intercepting the ball. He's making a play. I mean, you, it's easy to kind of get caught up in the moment there. I mean, of course, perfect world, ideal world, bat the ball down. You should know better. Uh, that's one I, I'm inclined to give the guy a bit of a pass on. So that at least was an entertaining game and exciting game. So, you know, we got one total stinker in Jacksonville, Buffalo. Kansas-Tennessee game was, was was okay, except we had a really bad referee call that probably uh, contributed to the outcome of the game. Atlanta-LA was just kind of eh, sort of uneventful, nondescript. And then New Orleans-Carolina was a good game, but again, there, 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 was some, there was a little bit of controversy there. So, anyway, you know, it's interesting. That play where Cam Newton got lit up, it's, it's amazing how different I watch, and I think a lot, excuse me, a lot of people watch the games now. As we've said, I, I believe I have Cam Newton as, as, if not one, one A on my impossible to root for all-star team. Uh, I don't like anything about him, right? He, he sulks and mopes on the sidelines when things don't go his way. He did it again last week. And then when they scored that touchdown, oh, there's Cam, big smile, puffing his chest out. And again, my other issue with Cam is it's always it's all about me. Look at me. Look at me with my Superman uh, you know, celebration. Ooh, I'm ripping off my uniform because I'm Superman underneath. I mean, th- th- there's not a lot to like there. Okay? There's just not. And so in years past, when a guy that I don't like... You know, look, I don't know what Cam Newton's like off the field, right? And by all accounts, he's fine, I guess, right? I don't know him. I'm just going strictly basing on my. I'm basing this purely on his on-field persona. I don't find it appealing in any way. Um, so a guy like that, when he get, you know, if a quarterback would get smashed by D lineman in years past, I'd be hooting and hollering, whooping it up. Not this past Sunday. Not knowing what we know now. It was more of a cringe, kind of like, ooh, ooh, that, uh, that does not look good. You know, and, and those, you know, same thing happens now when a receiver goes over the middle and gets lit up by a safety. You know, in the old, look, I remember there was a, a hit, Corwin Brown, who was a backup safety, played at Michigan, um, played for the Jets, played for the Lions, and this was when he was on the Lions. 
There was a play, there, I think it was a Thursday night game in the year 2000 against Tampa Bay. And I think Dungy was still there. Or maybe Gruden was there. Now, Gruden wasn't there yet. Gruden was still with the, was with the Raiders. So, yeah, Dungy was still there. And Tampa Bay was good. And that's when they had Sap and, you know, Big Mouth Sap and Derek Brooks and whatever. They're a good team. And they were still in the same division. The Lions and the Tampa Bay used to all be, both be in the NFC Central. So they were, you know, sort of a heated rival. In any event, Corbin Brown absolutely lit Keyshawn Johnson up on a play over the middle. I mean, just demolished him. And I used to write for a website, a Lions-centric website back then, and I wrote that that was the turning point of the game. Lions ended up coming back and winning that game. And, you know, how that kind of toughness. and the, it, that, that hit's illegal now. That would be an illegal hit. Corn Brown might even, that might even be grounds for ejection. And yet, I remember, you know, again, okay, we're almost at 18 years, so it's a long time. But that was a play that, to me, was a turning point of the game. Now you watch that and you kind of... It's bad. Totally different experience now watching an NFL game. All right. Finally, we'll wrap it up with uh, the coaching carousel. So, jobs that have been taken. The Bears just announced uh, Matt Nagy. Who? You might ask. Exactly. The uh, now former offensive coordinator from the Chiefs. I believe he's only been the coordinator for a year or two. Um, But caveat there is that Andy Reid calls the plays. Now, they switch that up in the middle of the year when the Chiefs are going through their um, slump. And so Nagy started calling the plays, but I think he's only done it for half a year. And his body of work in his last playoff game ain't great, but he's 39. Again, he's known to be an offensive guy. The Bears, you know, have a lot invested in Mitchell Trubisky and making sure that that works out. And everybody's trying to find the new, the next Sean McVay now, right? They saw the wonders he did for Goff. We talk, just talked about it earlier. What one, you know, the wonders he did for 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 Goff, and to a lesser extent, Todd Gurley, but the Rams' offense as a whole. So everybody's looking. You know, the NFL's copy. The nice way to put it is the NFL is a copycat league. The cynical way to put it is the NFL loves to engage in stupid groupthink. <laughs> So, I mean, look, Sean McVay, I, I just waxed poetic about him 15 minutes ago. But this idea now that everybody's going to be in the next Sean McVay is dumb. I mean, just by the law of averages, it's not going to work out. So, look, maybe this guy Nagy turns out to be a, a godsend for the Bears. I, I would be skeptical. I certainly, as a Lions fan, hope he's not. Um, but anyway, that's one guy, that's one team now out of the running for the big fish that everybody thinks. Um, which are McDaniels from the Patriots and Patricia from the Patriots. Uh, maybe to a little lesser extent, Pat Shermer from the Vikings and Steve Wilkes, the defense coordinator from uh, the Panthers. So the Bears now off, off out, of, out of the mix. Oakland out of the mix with Gruden. We talked about that last week. Mr. The last two games, times in the playoffs, 0-2. And, and the last time he coached was 8 But we already talked about that. That's all about the move to Vegas. Um, so that leaves the Giants, the Lions, the Cardinals, and Indianapolis. Four teams left. So I'm going to go ahead and try to make some predictions here. I'm predicting McDaniels to the Giants. I'm predicting Patricia to the Lions. So McDaniels to the Giants, I think, for a couple different reasons. One, I think 
there is a, a prevailing thought um, throughout the league that McDaniel's you know can be similar to Belichick. Obviously, he's coached under him. He had the disastrous two years in Denver, but you know again Belichick had a bit of a bad run in Cleveland. Although in retrospect. They might want to build a statue for him since I believe they won a playoff game with Vinny Testaverde as their quarterback and Belichick as the head coach back in like 95, I think it was. Um, And given the state of that franchise, uh, since obviously they got moved to Baltimore and then came back, it's been a total and utter disaster. Um, so I think a lot of people look at that and say, well, you know, he learned his lessons. That was eight years ago. He was 33. He's 41. He's older. He's wiser. Um, and he's, a, you know, a, a, a brilliant offensive mind. The Giants will be ushering in a new quarterback within the next five years. Even if Eli comes back next year, it likely will be his last year in New York. Um, and they want somebody with, you know, uh, an offensive mind to, to usher in that new era. So I think McDaniels goes to the Giants. All signs point to Patricia going to the Lions. Now, look, the NFL rules predicate that the Lions can't officially hire him until the Patriots are out of the playoffs, which will probably won't be until the Super Bowl ends. Um, but it's the same thing last year. I mean, the whole world knew Shanahan was going to uh, the 49ers even before you know the Super Bowl. And you know, given Patricia's ties to Bob Quinn, the Lions GM. They worked together with the Patriots for 12 years. Uh, given the fact that it, it would seem abundantly clear based on the people that the Lions have interviewed, they've mostly been defensive guys. The Lions want to go in that direction to hire a defensive coach. Um, I think Patricia's going to go to the Lions. Uh, Arizona, I'm going to predict Steve Wilkes there. I don't know why. I just am. The Carolina's defense coordinator. And then Indianapolis, I'm predicting John DeFilippo, the quarterback coach for the Eagles. Now, look, I would love to see Jim Schwartz go to the Giants. I think like Belichick, um, you know, he took over, obviously, a morbid franchise in the Lions. Did get them within to the playoffs within a couple of years there. Um you know, had a couple, uh, again, uh, to me, one of the more unlucky coaches you'll ever see in your life. I think he's learned some lessons. And then if that were the case, then I think McDaniels would be the, the choice in Indianapolis. Again, provided that Andrew Luck is healthy. But McDaniels may like Joe, Jacoby Brissett, too. And he may take it on as a challenge and, and think, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to make this guy start. I think Jacoby Brissett can be a good quarterback in the NFL. Now, if you have a healthy Andrew Luck and Andrew Luck who played the way he played his first couple of years in the league, you know he's one of the, probably the top five quarterbacks in the whole league. But I think Jacoby Brissett can uh, and will develop. And well, I don't know if he will. It all depends on coaching. But I think he can. He's capable of being an above average quarterback in the league. All right, that is it for tonight's show. Thanks as always for listening. Check us out on iTunes. Check me out on Twitter at Jamal about Sport and OS and on Facebook as well. We've got, uh, I guess we'll be back next week with NBA. Time to get in the NBA. We're almost halfway through the season. Um, I know I've given the NBA short shrift here uh, the last several shows. But uh, I believe next week will be an NBA-heavy show. Until then, thanks for listening, and peace out.